Welcome back to Mages and Murder Dads, the best show dedicated to the games beyond Baldur's Gate. This is episode 58, and we're playing Torment Dots and Dermadera! I like the I like the new style. Let's keep it let's keep it like this. I'm Cameron. I'm Danny, and this game's bad. <laughs> See <laughs> Oh uh, Just reading the show ago. notes here. <laughs> You, you are. Uh, several days ago, I'm going to look for the message here in our... Uh, was it over Discord or was it in a In our Discord message? message. Yeah, this is at uh, yesterday, 11.57 a.m. <laughs> you send me a message that says, and I quote, I straight up detest this game. <laughs> I probably hate it all the more because of how much potential is here. But the game just sucks. <laughs> End quote. I feel like I may be living through your life when we were going through certain portions of Siege of Dragonspear. I feel like let me mm-hmm. let me just tell tell you two anecdotes. One is in the last week, someone has seen me and then immediately asked, "Wow, did you have a really rough day at work?" And then I had to explain, "No, I, I a have a podcast." Uh-huh. Where I um doing where, some promo, huh? Where I talk about um, bragging. Where I talk about uh you know, computer role playing games, so I have to explain that. And then I have to explain how I'm playing a game and it's literally its title is called Torment. Sure. And, th- and then they like and then they're like, "Oh, okay." And then uh a day or two later, they saw me again. And I was also like I was looking perhaps bedraggled, and they said, oh, man, has that game still got you down? That's the first anecdote. Mm-hmm. Second anecdote is someone recently asked me, so does Cameron feel the same way about this? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I said, I don't know. And I don't. I don't. I haven't gotten in as many fights as you have. Yeah. <laughs> so I've, I've been able to... Um, to make myself immune to some degree from the worst parts of this game. Mm-hmm. But I don't enjoy playing it. <laughs> <laughs> I think this would be, and I think, you know, this is something I said in the last episode, but um, I think that the setting of Numenera actively hurts this game. I agree with that. And I think it's because it is probably brilliant from a tabletop perspective as far as like what it allows a DM to do and the kind of leniency of storytelling it gives you uh, in the sense that it kind of tends a little bit toward like cyberpunky kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so so you can have like you, it can be a game about big, massive systems of technology and control and and the people who are power players and all that kind of stuff. Or it can be like on the ground adventures doing fantasy kind of stuff with some big technology. You know, mm-hmm. Numenera, I think, gives you the tools to do all that equally, which is cool. But you can't, that's the thing, is on a tabletop, you can't do everything. Exactly. And what this game in computer form is attempting to do is a little bit too much. It is it's, giving it's, us the breadth <laughs> of yes. all of that without the depth. Yeah, I think the Numenera probably exceeds in the theater of the mind. Mm-hmm. I think that probably stuff in Numenera where you're like, oh, yeah, now we're just in a different time and space or, uh, you know, um, like time warfare and dimensional warfare and all that. You could probably explain that in very cool ways at the tabletop. Mm-hmm. But you are uh, your hands are tied in a video game because you need to represent that somehow and make it like visually sensible and for the most part in this game it's just a lot of people talking about that 
and implicitly saying like that those things happened, but uh, not really making that visible, which makes it feel like you were playing a video game of watching someone explain something over a tabletop. Yeah, no, there are definitely, <laughs> and here, but here's the reason: there is going to be another mirror caster mm-hmm. uh, event that we talk about, and what. The reason the triggering event was not combat when I sent you that text message. The triggering event was actually the mirror caster choose your own adventure portion because that's my fav that was my favorite part of the game, right? That mm-hmm. first mirror caster, I was like, this is what this game I kind of I kind of came to the conclusion, this is just what this game should be. It's like a text mm-hmm. adventure. It would just be sure. straight up better. Um and then I ex- and then I like did this one and I was I was not happy about it. Like there were there were just things that kind of irked me about it, and I'll get we'll get to those later about why. But uh, yeah, as a there are there are flashes of oh this makes sense. I think going into that bar that where the uh, the psychic energies are contained, mm-hmm. that's comprehensible. Somebody come tells you about it. And I, it, that feels like it could be a location in Planescape Torment, right? Like that yeah. feels grounded. They've graphically represented it in a way that I can grok. I can wrap my mind around what's happening. It's a self-contained little story. That worked. Um, but man, when you get much bigger than that area, things just start kind of fraying at the edges, I think. Yeah, I... You know, I don't know. Maybe if it had another year in the in the cooker, you know, or if it weren't a crowdfunded game, mm-hmm. I I don't know. I don't know what could have. Yeah, I you know, I'm kind of racking my brain for ways to. to I think I think it's an. I think you may have already solved this and just said this is inherent to the way the setting works. And what the setting is good for, and what mediums it lends itself to, and it is not a CRPG, perhaps. If yeah, it were I mean, a CRPG, you'd have to go, you'd have to like laser focus on, okay, well, what is this game? Because I could see a CRPG for Tides of Numenera that's basically like Stellaris. Yeah, that would yes. that could that could theoretically work, but you've got to commit to like what you're doing. I don't know. Yeah, I I think that there are. The developers of this game just had a hard job in front of them, which mm-hmm. was make a spiritual successor to one of the most celebrated narrative games of all time. Do it in a way that it is in a framework that's similar to Planescape, but you don't have the Planescape license. So you got to find something just as, that's just close. Um, and then hit the same like weird narrative beats, but without totally ripping them off. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. That's, that's just a hard thing to do. It's like carving a key out of wood. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like with a pocket knife and then mm-hmm. hoping that you can open, you know, whatever your front door with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's theoretically possible. You could probably get really close, but mm-hmm. it really is the fine details that matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, I think that, uh, yeah, I think it was just a, it, the target was very difficult to hit here. And, the story, I, I guess I'll get into the story so far, and I will, and last time I think that, uh, I think that you remarked that, hey, that was a very, you know, you really glossed over like a good four to five hour section of, of playtime. Mm-hmm. And then we, we kind of like, you know, took a step back and been like, wow, I guess the reason why we're glossing that over is not because we're just doing it for brevity's sake, like God in Baldur's Gate 1 or Baldur's Gate 2, like just the, the weird narrative beats that happened. But literally that it was a cul-de-sac, like a plot cul-de-sac. There, just, there was no, nothing happened. I'm mm. going to try to be as detailed as possible. Okay. You are the last cast off. You are the most recent manifestation or reincarnation of, of the changing god which is a much maligned and beloved figure in this world that we're in called the ninth the ninth planet or the ninth world which is like a deep time you know campaign setting cooked up by none other than monty cook and 
in this game you are flung on into the earth as you are as your like divinity is stripped from you and you just become some some joe schmo you meet some fun characters a lot of them join you on your quest you're attempting to repair the resonance chamber the contraption that you crash landed in and uh, at first, it looks like in order to uh, in order to find out who could fix the uh, this chamber, you'd have to find someone named uh, Mankina, I believe, and uh, or Matkina. Which one is it? Matkina. Matkina. You have to find someone named Matkina, and uh, so you kind of have to track Matkina down by doing some quests for this person that's basically Boss Hog. And when you find Matkina, you have to do her a favor and kind of get zapped into somebody else's past mind. And then Matkina is like, "Oh, well, actually, I don't know how to repair your residence chamber, but I bet." I know someone who does, and eventually we have to get into a ship to go to the Valley of Heroes because in order to get to the place where we think somebody will be that can actually fix the Resonance Chamber, we have to go through the Valley of Heroes, and we have to go through the gateway there, so we kind of solve some puzzles and diffuse some conflicts there in order to find a gateway to get to basically the promised land called meal of vest where all of the the castoffs have like found refuge because everybody's hiding from a horrible uh entity known as the sorrow um and we just got uh meal of vest and by going to meal of vest we have basically penetrated their shield from yes. the sorrow yeah, yeah. The, the the only way uh, to get in is was basically to make them vulnerable somehow. Yeah, yeah. Can I just say I'm not impressed with this area? Mm, I think I like this area more than any of the others we've done so far. Do you like this? Is it just? It feels like. And correct me if I'm wrong. It feels like this is just a big platform with just characters walking around. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you mean like the literal environment? Design. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. There's nothing here. There's nothing feels. here. This is like a. Uh, <laughs> it's like the classic hub. It's Diablo Two has more thought put into its hubs than this area. This is the friendly arm in. The friendly arm in has more environmental. There's tables. There's like this, people live. People like has, could sleep there. This has an obelisk. Yeah, and it's got, like, shield generators. No one... There's nowhere to sit down. People don't sit in this world. It's the it's the ninth world. They got rid of chairs in the fourth world. <laughs> We've been on five worlds straight, and there's no one just to... There's no place to sit down. All the toilets are squat toilets. Yeah, we're over it. They're and actually, efficient. there are no more toilets sanitary. here either. Well, actually, so there are several buildings that are locked, and you can't go inside of them. Mm. And that's where all the toilets are. It's full of toilets and chairs. <laughs> this is yeah. Right. This is the least inspired location we have been in. I'd say the only thing close would have been like the Ball Mind Palace in mm. Throne of mm-hmm. Ball. Like it's basically that. Yeah, as a um, quest hub slash just place you have to go through. Yeah, I mean, I think you I think you can just, as this game goes along or in various parts of this game, I think you just start really seeing the time and money crunch that they had on this mm-hmm. game. Like, no, the, you start it, seeing the spiritual sequel, or, you know, spiritual successor, Kickstarter-funded problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I, I will say there is just a huge difference in terms of, like, the sheer amount of people to talk to in the first area, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, immediately, like you, you pop in versus kind of where we are now. Uh, yeah. Which, which is the that's the thing, right? Is there's also a um, there's a there's a there's a a, pa- a pattern of play that I think feels better, and that pattern of play is more like Baldur's Gate, where you start and you're just like in the newbie fort whatever there are like seven people you could talk to and then you have to go through like several screens of just nothing mm-hmm. and it takes a while before you get to Baldur's Gate and then you get to Baldur's Gate and you're like oh this is where they spent their money 
oh my gosh, how what how fun is this, right? Uh, well, it's uh, it's Gygaxian in that way, right? I mean, it's it's been a minute since we've used the word Gygaxian, but mm-hmm. like all the people are in Baldur's Gate because that's where all the people are. Yes, <laughs> and there's no one in Southwest Cloakwood because no one is in Southwest Cloakwood. <laughs> Um, and this game doesn't have the budget or the time or the free art staff to make nine different squares of cloakwood, you know? No, but um, I, here's the thing. I think take the, take the areas of this game as they lie and mix them up and start in Meal of Est. Mm. I, I think it's so that I am impressed when I get to, uh, gosh, it's so not memorable that I can't remember the name of like the starting area but you know uh, sages cliffs sages cliffs like and then get to sages cliffs when you're like five to six hours in well i mean i'll be honest with you i felt like and we'll talk about the specifics in a in a second but i felt like the kind of conversations i was having here were the kinds of conversations that were supposed to be happening at the middle of the game mm-hmm. like short of the very beginning of this that kind of introduces you to why you're in Mulevest, you could start the game here of you teleporting in, talking to these people, having these exact conversations, and then having the big event that ends this. Mm-hmm. And it it could just be the beginning of the game. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. That's well, we're on the we are on the same wavelength. Yeah, but well, I just mean I think it might have been at one point. <laughs> oh, you're saying that 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 might be real. Yeah, there's nothing in this. This is, there, there. Well, there's very little content here that requires you to have any information that you've gained in the beginning of the game. I think this might have been the tutorial at one point, because mm. it's asking you character creator questions. You're a hundred percent right. Oh my god, it, there, it just th- feels bizarre. Oh, and that's right. When we're talking to the like the wise woman, basically that yeah. character, uh, who. Oh my god, and she like, you know, it's all these moralistic questions and you get to answer like you get to really express like who your character is there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think right? you're right. I, we need to it, we need to track down. We need to have in the same way that we had um oh, his name escapes me, but uh, he was so kind to come on the show after Phil Daigle. Siege of Dragonspear. Yeah, we Phil Daigle. We need to have somebody on and and like ask questions about former Beam Dog employee Phil Daigle. Mm-hmm. No longer with the company, Phil Daigle. Oh, we could have Phil Daigle back on and him really go hard. <laughs> Rogue agent. Just burn every bridge <laughs> in his professional career for our benefit. Hmm. Yeah, maybe we should try to do that for this. Maybe we can talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so so we get here, and the, the person that we've talked to before, yes. Paj Relkin, is here. Do well, you remember, remember this character? Yes, did we see Paj in the Mirrorcaster? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paj is like the leader of the, of the people who killed the Sand Knights, I believe. Yeah. That's the problem with all of these. There's a lot of proper nouns. And also, I really don't really understand why it mattered if the Sand Knights got killed. No, it happened like a hundred years ago, and we're and everybody's over it except Matt Kina. Like if Matt Kina wasn't bearing a grudge, we wouldn't even know about it. Yeah, and she's know. belittled for for like uh, holding a grudge over a couple hundred years. Like people people really scoff her up for that. Lighten up, lighten up. Just forget um, about stuff. But yeah, so we're properly uh, shamed for having. Um, made Mielevest vulnerable to to the sorrow or to people who might be coming too. And then, yeah, like you were saying, there's just a bunch of people here to talk to. Well, mm-hmm. not really. There's like five people here to yeah, talk to. Yeah, that's, yeah. Not a mm-hmm. bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, a handful. There are a more, there, there are more in virtually every, like, building that you go into at Sage's Cliffs. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so... I feel very railroaded in this section. Like, you come mm-hmm. in, Paj confronts you. Matt, I have Matt Kina in my party. I don't think you do. Mm-mm, no. Uh, Matt Kina and Paj have, like, a little moment there. Um, and Paj, like, walks away. And I feel like I go from point A to point B, and then point B to point C, have to do a small quest, right back, 
Like it, it, it's it's pretty choppy if you let it. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you like? Did you kind of like explore around and do side do side quest stuff first, or what was your order here? Yeah, I just talked to everybody mm-hmm. uh, who was here. So uh, one guy who's pretty cool is the Calidon, mm-hmm. I guess, and uh, he's the guy I was talking about in the last episode. Uh, mm-hmm. episode 57 mm-hmm. um, who kind of gives you like a metaphysical belief system about the changing god mm-hmm. um, so so the Caledon is the the general for the changing god in the endless battle fighting against the army of the first um, and he is literally he kind of pitches you on this idea that that each, each cast off is literally an evolution in life in mm-hmm. general and that the changing god is creating these new bodies in order to do things that that he needs to do in some kind of way and then he casts them off and uh that's a bummer because you know you're not a god any longer but it's great because this is literally like the it's an uh, an adam and eve moment every time basically well, and also the implication that i got from this general is that the changing God in this way is crafting an army and that we yes. will be able to be victorious, right? The yeah. changing God will be able to smite, I guess, the sorrow, uh, I guess, the, the enemies of the changing God, because we know there is a faction led by the the first cast off yeah. uh, that, that is, you know, attempting to overthrow the changing God, very like Lucifer-like, perhaps. And that if if uh, like if everybody does their part, we'll be able to get there. Yes, um, and that's interesting. I think I think that's probably the first time I've heard someone generate like a policy statement in this sure. world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and this is the first time that Mazoff and the Resonance Chamber show up again mm-hmm. from like hours. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I had basically forgotten what what this game was about. <laughs> <laughs> they nearly like, got oh, you. Yeah. They nearly got oh, yeah. you. It, had they only not reminded you, and then you would have felt the surprise when you got back to the residence chamber. I would. You know what? And that could have been cool. Mm. There's a way to do that. You're too competent. You just have to just click through, buddy. Just uh, click through, and when you finally cl- make the last click, and you're at the residence chamber, you'll be so happy. So I uh, met another guy named Mel <laughs> Melmoth Leviarn, mm. uh, who was pretty cool. He's the guy who created the Dendro O'Hur. Mm-hmm. If you remember from from the first couple episodes we did, uh, the the Dendro O'Hur believe in absorbing people's thoughts by uh, consuming them after they've died. Yeah, and he's just like this huge. I I, I really like. We were talking about in episode fifty seven, the last episode, about. Um, how a lot of characters feel in this game kind of feel immaterial or generic. They don't really have like a strong personality to them. Melmoth has a strong personality. Mm-hmm. Um, he just hates the other castoffs. <laughs> he thinks they're complete idiots. He wants them to die as soon as possible um, so he can consume them. Which complicates what we were talking about last time as well because it's unclear when, when castoffs die. Still, yeah, Melmoth we says they do. We struggled with this. Is this our unique cast off ability? But I thought our ah. unique cast off ability was our, as we're about to see, our strong mediation skills. Or no, our our special power is the ability to alter reality in a mere caster. I thought that that was unique. But if that was unique, then why did Matt Kino warn us that that was entirely possible when we did it the very first time we ever did it? I don't know. I th- yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, he's a cool guy. I like talking to him. Um, he, you know, he's kind of like a say. It's like what if Elminster were very evil and a cannibal? Yeah. What if <laughs> what if Elminster decided? You know what? I'm just gonna start Satanism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just I you know I've learned all I could. Let's go. <laughs> yeah let's get in time is a flat circle <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah so so talk to him and i talked to a guy named elkishai did you talk to this dude okay was this the robot uh, no well, used to have a had, robot he had commanded a robot before mm-hmm. okay correct um yeah was he a priest 
or like there was something related to to like divinities that aren't the changing god here. Oh no! This is, so it's even better. So okay. he, uh, like, is fighting the endless battle. He's mm. in some ruins or something, and he finds a giant clay hand, mm. like a huge hand made of clay, and he figures out that he could pilot it, like a Gundam. Okay. And so he starts using it all the time, and it's unclear how he does it, right? Uh, you know, it, it's purposefully vague. Sure. Um, but he says he uses it like his armor, so he might be inside of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one day he's out, I don't know, kicking people with or slapping people around. I don't know how it works. And uh, a, a bigger, like, war construct falls on it and destroys it, and it explodes. And all these gods fly out of it. And he realizes that this was not a weapon. This was a container. It was a prison. For, it was a prison for, like, other divinities. And they flew into his brain. And they are inside of him, like, controlling his behavior. And so he's got, like, all these personalities and things that live inside of him. And I tried to help him, and I could not. Dang, what, what kind of <laughs> bad for that guy? Oh, just like you need machinery lore or something, or you need, you, you know. know, my so if you remember my party, my party is Aridus, who we'll talk about again in just a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, it is Aridus, it is Callistica, who knows about kind of some of this stuff, but uh, was not available for this conversation for whatever reason. And then a literal child named Ren. Who still has no combat abilities and basically can't. Um, and so, so yeah, so there, I had an option in the dialogue to be like, Rin, can you help him? Since that's been your whole thing, you, you were literally enslaved to do this for someone else. Can you just use any of your powers? And Rin said, no. Yeah, hmm. so really kind of teed it up like that would be a really cool thing that the party member could could afford here, and uh, nothing happened. So, Rin seems to be like it's entirely. I mean, I'm sure there's a there's going to be some questline story, or maybe not. Maybe the questline story was just like the act of getting Rin into your party. It's it's very unclear. I've had a lot of conversations with Rin about like where she comes from which is kind of like this idyllic country that might be either back in time or in another dimension or something. It's, it's unclear and the game's kind of purposely coy about that. Um, Ren has a God, like a, an actual God, um, I think named Ohm and it's a rock that Ren talks to. And so, mm-hmm. and, and the rock like tells her not to talk to me. So there's something weird going on there. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, that hasn't really paid off in, in anything yet. Okay, then, interesting. I mean, it would be okay for... Uh, I'd be fine with like one character in this, you know, cavalcade of, you know, supernatural beings and, and wild adventurers just to have one person who's like, yeah, I'm just a dude. I don't fight. I mean, I like the idea that, that this is a, a a party member who just doesn't fight. I, I like mm-hmm. that in a general sense. Um, but... I haven't, I haven't had other instances where Ren has been super helpful either. You know, so mm. um, there's also an obelisk here that I really like that like shows you an image of yourself eating bad soup in the future. Oh, <laughs> did you see that? No, oh. there's an obelisk. You call it in the notes the obelisk of boring future. Yeah, it shows you like a couple futures. One's like you eating soup and being unhappy. One is like I think you putting on a shoe that's too tight or something. Mm. It's just like boring stuff that happens in the future. That's yeah. good. I like yeah. that. I'm glad it about was that. good. I like that. But yeah, it's like you're eating soup and it's like lukewarm and it's not very good and you're like dipping bread in it. Mm. Uh, did you get killed by a pyramid here? Yeah, did you get killed by this pyramid? No, I didn't get killed by a pyramid. There's a little pyramid in the bottom left of the of, of the thing, and they have some other word for it that I can't remember now. Uh, but it's just a little white pyramid, and you get up close to it, and it, like, uh, 
it'll be like, oh, it, it's weird and powerful, and there's someone standing beside it, and they're like, yeah, this thing's weird, and we don't know what it does. It's been here forever. Don't touch it. And so, of course, I touched it, and it just straight up killed me. <laughs> it electrocuted me to death. Mm. Um, and then I did some, like, what is this called? In the last episode, I called it the Nexus. It's not the Nexus. The Labyrinth. The Labyrinth. So, in this game, if you die, you go to your, like, brain pocket plane your mind palace and you can do stuff have you done any of that yeah i have you remember that very when i tried to fix the clock when we tried to fix the clock and we got zapped and then there were all there were like old cast-offs like trapped in my mind palace somehow oh i do remember that and they were named villain camosa and like Div- Diviatku? I think you've got Diviatku. There you go. Um, okay. Uh, did I just finally like connect something? Connect the dots there? Yeah, because yeah, because as you see in my show notes, I, I encountered these people in my brain, and I had no idea where they came from. <laughs> no, these were the people that you uh, that you meet when you get zapped into your mind palace for the first time using the strange asynchronous uh, clock, mm. like attempting to fix it. Um, but anyway, I go up to that uh, chamber, I guess would be the most proper way to put it. There's a chamber of my mind labyrinth. And they're hanging out, and they're like, "Oh boy, there's a there's a, a shard of the the sorrow in here, and we we gotta kill it." And I don't remember that part. I don't remember there being like the sorrow involved with these three characters when I broke open the clock. Well, because they weren't um, when they were locked in the clock. It had to do with betraying the changing god. Uh, yeah, uh, while the changing god was doing like big time war stuff, um, mm-hmm. I think where where the sorrow shows up here is because at the very beginning of the game, right? Remember the sorrow showed up. That's right. The sorrow confronts us while we're in our mind palace, and then before it flees, after I stab it with like a MacGuffin blade, mm-hmm. uh, before it flees, like several sorrows, like I guess full flee into my mind yeah. and that my and so one basically like turned up yeah i think so just set up shop it's mm-hmm. operating a small deli it's yeah. making sandwiches it's doing all of the things and we're all happy about it well not everyone no so we, we killed it <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so i went in there and did that uh and i helped these three people kill the sorrow this little fragment it was pretty easy um, but then, so that like rift closed or whatever, and I got like a superpower for helping these dudes. Mm. And then another rift opened, and it was like, hey, uh, by the way, this is like a super hard fight with the sorrow. So go do that if you want to when you level up. It specifically says you need to level up. And I didn't, I didn't uh, care for that. They did the next one. I'm like, I it went, went, I didn't even read the rest after a fight. I was like, there's no way I'm doing this. I'm not voluntarily <laughs> submitting myself to a fight in this Yeah, game. that's kind of how I felt about it. Which can, I know we talked a little bit about it in the last episode in terms of like, it's just these tiny little things that add up to make fights bad. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we haven't gone deep enough to really describe... Like, we've talked about how long they are, but it's like there's granular detail that Mages and Murder Dads is known for when it comes to mechanics, right? And, like, really describing something. Mm -hmm. Uh, Isn't it awesome? (laughs) Isn't it just so great? Yep. That when you're in a fight and you want to uh, use all of your movement without using an action... You you can't just, like, point in the direction you want to run and your character run that. You have to, like, manually put your mouse and you have to just, like, inch it slowly. It's like, oh, red X, red X, I got to inch it closer to my character because their speed's not high enough. Oh, and then there, right there. And it's not, it's like everything's just, a like, everything's just pixels off. Like, do you know what I'm talking about in terms of moving characters in this game? Yeah, for whatever reason, they just won't show us the hex. Just show me the hex. Yes. Yes. Give me the coordinate plane. (laughs) That's all I want. 
<laughs> and just highlight, okay, this is the area that they can move to. They've taken, uh, like, turn-based combat, a la Temple of Elemental Evil, right? Which was, like, 3.5 um, gr- kind of grid combat, right? Um, or... Uh, gosh, that new game we we played it for the the channel, like the the four e board game, uh, right? Candlekeep, Tales of Candlekeep, Candle, Tales of Candlekeep, um, Grid. Very easy. When you select the character, you know where you can move mm-hmm. because it's very important in a turn based game to be able to like navigate to the section you want and then use your action. And in this game, if you go too far, you use your action, mm-hmm. right? You will automatically like use your movement and your action. It's a nightmare. They have they've taken something and they've put they've obviously and this is what I think a part of the messages I sent you. They've obviously spent so much time and energy on the details here. So many fettles, so many statistics. When you attack something, there's like 50 different damage types, including relativistic, right? And they can't even get... And like movement is painful. Just moving in the battlefield is a chore. Yeah, uh, everything about the battle... I mean, we've said this a lot, but everything about the battles in this game are bad. I guess that's why we haven't given granular details. You can literally say everything and it's accurate. Yeah, I can't I can't think of a single redeeming factor that would make mm-hmm. me prefer this over literally anything else. Yeah. Um literally make me make me prefer it over like Dragon Quest 2. No, I would 100% like sub out every battle in this game with like a weird JRPG like just people lined up on opposite sides of a field. Yeah, I just don't. Um, I don't know what the battle system is achieving. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the end feeling is supposed to be. This feels like it, it mm-hmm. feels like the design goal was correctly implement an abstract system that we designed without changing it. And I think that that maybe the like the best thing that could happen to this game, and, and of course it never will. Because uh, I think the window for this is passed, but uh, something that you can really say for CD Projekt Red, who make the Witcher games, is that both for The Witcher Two and The Witcher Three, they launched with a certain set of combat mechanics, and then X amount of time into those games, they completely changed them. They just released a patch. They completely overhauled combat. Period. When you say completely, how how all-encompassing is that. um the sword combat just completely changed um for number two it made it a lot more reactive um it, it made it uh a lot more tactical in a lot of different ways mm-hmm. you just look up just look up the combat rebalances that happened for mm-hmm. the witcher 3 it was very very substantial um, and a lot of things mm-hmm. got changed for the witcher 3 but those were things that were made uh, because the initial design goals and then the feedback that they received from players were not um, meeting in the way that they that the studio wanted, mm-hmm. and I think that six months after this game came out, if they'd released a big patch that was like, "Hey, we heard all that. We're removing seventy percent of the fettles from this game. We are maybe adding more powers that are better differentiated from one another." I think I would be uh, a lot more interested in playing it now. Um, or I think me two episodes ago, we've removed combat. When you engage into a crisis, it will go to text. Yeah. A la like the first, uh, you know, 30 minutes of pillars of eternity. Like one of those quick time events, a la the dread fire, like the pirate stuff that I'm sure we'll get to eventually. A la the Mirrorcaster events of like choose like a choose your own adventure combat where sometimes it ends with and the cultist smashes you in the head with an axe and you die i i I mean that is the best possible scenario i think but also (laughs) like that is a big i don't like that can never happen that can never happen just in terms of like uh too much it's like the the sunk cost yeah it's a a, that's a more dramatic overhaul than i think is possible but Mm -hmm. i do think something is possible where you're just like take 
the eight different fettle types or whatever and damage types and you take that down and you give it three uh, because mm-hmm. I'll be honest like part of it is you know that there's a, a you know there's this idea in I guess social psychology is maybe where this comes from but of decision fatigue mm-hmm. right so the idea that that it doesn't matter the kind of quality of decisions you're making necessarily but just the sheer number of them that you're having to make that increases your mental load um and so you know this creates all kinds of uh patterns that people have worked into their life where they're just not making decisions about certain things you have the exact same thing for breakfast every day um you wear the same type of shirt and the same pants things like that whether this works Mm -hmm. or not i don't know but i do know that when I look at the four different magical abilities that my characters have, and they all have 15 lines of text of pluses and minuses, I don't want to do any of them. Mm-hmm. Because in the, the choice in any given combat encounter of having to decide which of those is arbitrarily better than the other is a waste of time. Um, and I think that this is actually... To, to use movement again, the fact that you can't just choose a hex and that it's like basically every pixel is selectable to walk to. Yeah. It's like it it makes movement so much more difficult than it could than it should. Fallout be. one and two had a better movement system than this game. Fallout came out oh. in 1997. <laughs> also, just moving around, not in combat. Like, I get that there's this desire to like. If you if your character's running left and you're like, oh, actually, I want to go right, and you click right, your character just doesn't... It doesn't do the Baldur's Gate thing of, like, immediately change directions, mm-hmm. right? It has to do, oh, it's it's got physics, you know, he's got a, he got inertia, he's got to slow down and turn around. Those delays annoy the hell out of me. I actually me. like the little, the little kick turn he does. I don't, I don't like how, every, like... Everything feels slower. Yeah, because of I, that. I do agree. Like, and pathfinding actually is somehow as bad or worse than like Baldur's Gate One. Yeah, it, yeah. It's in clunky. any case, it's clunky. Um, uh, but so yeah, I yeah. did that. <laughs> I I have an update on my Aridus story. So if you remember in last episode, I said that uh, you know we found that little alcove with all the stuff, and we. Mm-hmm. And I had a little blip in my head while well, I had the opportunity now while I was in my head to talk to Aridus and he's there and he is feeling bad. Um, and I get to talk to Aridus's like actual core person. Hmm. Aridus was a farmer and he lived in like a pasture his whole life for years and years and years. And he lived in like a little nameless cottage and like a little nameless valley and he had these things that I forget what they're called now but they're like sheep cows like a little combo and he Mm -hmm. hated his life and he thought that he could go somewhere and he could like play the flute and sing and people would like it but he didn't Mm. have the opportunity to do that because he was looking after his sheep and one day one of his sheep cows ran away and I guess they ended up in the valley of dead heroes and so he ended up in that alcove and he found a box and the box was talking to him so he went and he opened the box, and some demons came out of it and possessed his body. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. And But the best part, so I mean, it's a sad story, and, and it's written, I think, in a, in a maybe maybe a little melodramatic way, um, mm-hmm. but it's an effective way where he's basically just like, I just want to go back to my pasture, you know. Um, but basically he says that the demons prevent him from, prevent him from sleeping, and they are feeding on his body's willingness to do all these adventure things. And the pitch is basically that he is infected, like like with a parasite or a set of parasites that make him do traditional fantasy hero things. Mm. And that's cool. What are they eating? They're, they're again? eating his like experiences and his body. So he's like wasting mm. away partially. Okay. I, but it also like explains some of the idiosyncrasies with his personality exactly. that you've been encountering. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and there's two of them, and so I think that it's kind of like this this dialectic process between the two demons that are inside of him. 
Um, it's just kind of like slowly negotiating over the resources, which are just him. Yes. And, so, and mm. some of those resources are his life force, and some are the, like the actions that he performs and the emotions that he gets from doing those actions. Um, and so basically he asked me, like, can you please drive these demons out of my body? And I said I would try, and I have not had the opportunity to do that yet. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so it's cool. I, I like that's the best story in the game so far. I think. Uh, I think so. It's at the. It'll be at the beginning of the next episode. But Tiber, you remember Tiber? Mm, no. The swashbuckling rogue. Uh, oh, that yeah. Helped me forge stuff yes. and his With buddy. Accused man. I think that, that stuff. Yes. Uh, there's some stuff that's going to happen there. So I'm kind of. I'm actually looking forward to like seeing more from that character. And I think that. The fact that I'm looking forward to it so much is probably because, like, I'm really glad I have. Let me let me say this: I'm really glad I have a party because it's they're actual reoccurring characters that continue to like interact with the world in a way that we were talking about kind of last episode about how characters can feel a little unstuck at times, mm-hmm. just like in this world. And the the few times where I feel really pulled in to the story are with respect to characters that are like interacting with different people in different areas and it makes the world actually feel yeah. real and Tiber's kind of helping me do that uh, but that'll be next episode I think okay. um, mm-hmm. but yeah so we talked to Anne Dearest like this whole like you were saying this is a very linear thing you can kind of get in and get out pretty quickly if you want to um, mm-hmm. and so we talked to this person who's kind of the leader of these castoffs named Anne Dearest and she says Listen, I have a mirror caster that has Mazoff in it, but I'm worried about you and your like weird superpower you have to alter reality through mirror casters. And she makes it pretty clear that like this is special to us. But as you said earlier in this episode, Matt Kenner was worried about us doing this. So mm-hmm. mm, dot 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 question mark. Mm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. She also explains, just as an aside, that the tides that we've been talking about and been going up and down and all throughout the game, you know, every decision you made that you make in this game affects the tides in some way Um, that these are not like magical metaphysics that, you know, are shoot throughout this entire universe. This, they're an artificial quality to the solar system. And in particular, the ninth world, which is like future earth. Mm hmm. So it's like the internet. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like, it's not magic or it's not mana or the weave, you know, from the Forgotten Realms. It's just a Black Mirror episode. It kind of is like, a, yeah, kind of like a Black Like, you should feel guilty for using the the tides. We were mm-hmm. the tides the whole time. We were the, oh, man. Yeah. We thought they were good, but what if they were what if bad? They were bad. But anyway, I thought that it, I, there's no real effect to that one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but it mm-hmm. is interesting to note that it's it's kind of like a big data network that you're accessing and, and changing, and that that data network has a big impact on like the shape of the world. That's it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that's like that's a little interesting factoid about the way this universe works. Um, or at least works now. Yes. And that the changing God presumably uses some of that or something. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, she tells us, uh, she gives us two like quests. The first one is just to go talk to Melmoth Leviarn and mm-hmm. see what he's all about. And he, he's a real uh, stick in the mud. Yeah. He just doesn't like, he doesn't like cast offs. The end. It doesn't like anybody. Yeah, it's a, it's not a complicated thing. And like she asked me, like, who's right, Melmoth or someone else? And I was like, Melmoth's right. I, I don't know. Who cares? I said I don't care <laughs> <laughs> to every question I possibly yeah, could. I was just like, I don't like. Why do I care? There was one. There was one point where she asked me a question, and I was like, This is just some psychological test. You're just going to argue no matter what I answer. Please, please. Let's finish mm-hmm. the, the beta testers response. But um, yes. And yeah, then there are um, two people who are back from the endless battle. And mm-hmm. they are arguing basically uh, about what the cast off should do. 
and you can take a side or you can try to be diplomatic or whatever. And I was like, uh, yeah, maybe you should just both chill out. And they were like, I guess we'll chill out. Yeah, it was the same for me. That was so strange. It was not a complicated moral decision to make. I was like, either you're going to have to leave or just stop arguing. And they literally... Yeah, I think literally the answer was, is this really worth it? And they're like, well, I guess it is. Yes, their response. One of them says like, well, we don't agree, but I guess we'll just have to get along. It wasn't even a conflict. Yeah. It was literally just two people being assholes. That's not an actual conflict. Yeah. There's no, like, stakes. Yeah, because it, the way it's presented to you is that, like, this is a debate about the future of your people. And in reality, you know, if if we take the response seriously, the actual conversation was more like, do you like apples or do you like peaches? <laughs> <laughs> no, because you you have to remember that the framing of this is like one person thinks the changing god is a is is just a deity level fascist. Yeah. And the other thinks the changing god is the lord and savior like your your absolute salvation. These are not compatible viewpoints. No. They're not compatible viewpoints and under no like the only way that you those two t- viewpoints could like coexist under the same roof is if there was a greater evil like that united those two people. Mm-hmm. And I guess the sorrow is the only way this makes sense is if the sorrow is that greater. Yeah, evil. but you don't have to do the game does not ask you to do that work because and this is once again the game like shooting itself in the foot to some degree. The game at this point has not explained to you what the sorrow is. <laughs> and true. so if you can't because you're right, you are writing you are currently writing the good version of this, which is mm-hmm. you can create a compromise by saying, look, no matter what your interpretation of the changing god is, there's an existential threat that means that your interpretation doesn't matter very much in the face of it. Mm-hmm. That's the way that you generate this compromise in like the good version of this conversation. But because we don't know what the sorrow is in a general sense, you can't do that. So it is just hurting itself. <laughs> anyway, so we do these like two non quests, and then you go talk to, back to Andiris, and she says, "Yep, you seem qualified. Whatever. Uh, here, pop on in here." So it gives you the Mirrorcaster. So I'm gonna I'll, I'll explain mm-hmm. the Mirrorcaster really quickly, and then you can tell me what why this was such a disappointment for you. Mm-hmm. You get into the mirror caster. You're this person named Zirian Daywalker. There is a, you're on like kind of a, uh, a fire planet. Um, and there's all kinds of different stuff here. There's different areas to go to um, by manipulating these um, kind of wisps, these uh, fire creatures, fire humanoids. Um, you can get a big shield or you can try to get a shield. You can get like a bronze sphere. Um, and eventually you go to, you get in like a little transport and you go to a place and meet this person called the Chimera who has like a big menagerie. And you can talk to the Chimera and you can say, hey, I need to talk to Mazoff. And then the Chimera opens up a portal. It's kind of like a Harry Potter viewing glass kind of thing. And you can just have a straight up conversation with Mazoff about what the resonance chamber is. Mm-hmm. What was so bad about that whole thing? I think that in order for me to tell you why it was bad, we have to get to what happens right after the mirror caster. So all of those things uh-huh. happen. Did you, you did, did, I, did you mention the, uh, the like adventures you can have with the fire fiends and whatnot? Yeah, uh, I mean, there are all kinds of different little ways to solve that puzzle. So for example, to get, through those fire fiends you have to kind of ascertain how they communicate with one another and then you like get Mm -hmm. in and out of these like fire um there's basically like hot zones and cold zones and you have to get in the hot zones and stay there or you or you could just lure the beast from the other area to the fire fiends and then they they like keep each other yeah there's like a big fire elemental that you can lure over there but what is the sphere uh i don't know did you get the sphere? I did get the sphere. I don't, I don't know what it did. Okay. 
So after the Mirrorcaster call, there's some real stuff that happens. Yes. Well, oh, let, let me say really quickly first. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I thought you were going to talk about the stuff in the middle. So um, mm-hmm. in this conversation with Mazoff, you get like the big plot reveal here, or one of the big plot reveals. Mazoff says, oh, you probably don't want to fix the resonance chamber because the resonance chamber is a device that the changing God made that will collapse all of the castoffs into the changing God's body. Hmm. So it will bring, it will, they will all resonate together and create one entity. And so it's a way for the, the changing God to suck up basically the consciousness and experiences and lives of all of the different castoffs and then make himself hyper super powerful. Yes. Mazov says, you might not want to do that. And uh, you might want to go talk to the first, the first cast off. Uh, and she is hiding in the bloom. We've learned a little bit about mm-hmm. the bloom a few episodes ago, but uh, it's like a big creature thing. And we'll learn more about mm-hmm. it later. But he says, and so basically he gives you like the two paths that this game can take. Yeah. Um, and then you're sucked out of that. And then what? You're confronted by uh, the change of God himself in your mind palace. And it turns out uh, the changing God was inside you all along. Literally. Literally. The changing God, like that, the, the like NPC in the labyrinth that like helped you out at the very beginning mm-hmm. the specter yeah that was just the changing god yeah the specter yeah that was just the changing it's god. like if you were playing Baldur's gate and you got all the way to throwing a ball and cespinar the imp was living in your brain and you got to the final mm-hmm. boss battle and cespinar was like and it was cespinar, and cespinar was was ball <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and so you don't you don't like that no, what I don't like is that... Let me tell you how it goes okay. down. So. Uh, the Changing God um, says, Hey, it was me the whole time. And I was like, Hey, why'd you lie to me, bro? And Changing God says, Hey, I'm not going to get into that, but, you know, I want your body back. I want my body back, body back, body back. I want you, and I want it now. And I said, "No, I don't. I don't like that at all." And the changing God said, "Well, I'm sorry, buddy, but I'm taking your body." And and I said, "Well, no." And then I just lost the game. Just took went to a load screen. Oh. And then I had to reload, like from before Meal of Est. Oh God. And then have to play all that again. And then I save before I go into the mirror caster. Do the mirror caster again. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe I'm not supposed to fight him. Maybe I'm supposed to invite him in. Nope. Load screen immediately. Go through the whole thing again. Get to the changing god. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Get my body. Bam. Loads. Your your game over. It's over. Have to reload. Do the mirror caster again. This time I get the sphere. And I think you have to get the sphere in order to, like, actually do the thing or i just chose a different order of dialogue options i don't know it's it's not transparent to me and finally you're able to like somehow fight him off with special powers but yeah yeah i i i got to it was a bummer i clicked around a little bit in that in that conversation and i was able to like use my purple skills to mm-hmm. like your tides yeah my purple tide to like be like no don't do stuff and then mm-hmm. um it, this is why I, I thought it was a real bummer so i did that and that like rebuffed him the first time and then he like came at me again mm-hmm. and i reached into my brain you remember the words of qua like qra that i had yes so this is like they they, they were the the virus or like the weapon of master yeah it was like a like a word virus that was trapped inside one guy's head and I like relieved him of that burden and it's literally destroyed multiple civilizations because these words are so destructive and powerful and so I've Mm -hmm. got the words in my head we're in my head right and so I like whip them out and I throw them at him Mm -hmm. and that 
that seems very cool. That's like awesome to me, right? This mm-hmm. this is like exactly mm-hmm. the kind of thing that this type of game could make really cool. And the it, the game is literally like you throw the words of Korra at him, they hit him in the head, and he reaches inside of his head and takes them out and crushes them or whatever. And it's mm. like I get you need to make this guy like super powerful and cool, but he's like not even hurt. Then don't even offer the exactly. option. Exactly. Let me save it and- because what you did was you you hinted at oh this cool thing that I found out because I talked to this character a long time ago and I thought it was really fun and I found out this really potent thing and they really played up how potent it was and in that moment before you click the option you're like oh shit this is the thing that busts it wide open I'm gonna get to experience this fun little thing that the developers like coded just for the player like me and then just to let you down immediately yeah it's like you hit him with a wet pool noodle <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like useless. It made that weird slappy noise. Um, so mm-hmm. that was a bummer. And then I had the option to like re- unleash the tides. And it hurt me, but it also hurt him. And so he was like, I'll get you next time. And he disappeared. Mm. Which is a bummer. Because one could imagine that the words of Craw could have given me the same outcome. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. But so yeah, he's, he's like, I'll see you dastardly kids next time and he disappears mm-hmm. but you wake up after that oh my gosh we're not even finished. we're not finished but, but this is pretty cool i thought uh mm-hmm. the sorrow attacks and you have this like long encounter where there are the the sorrow and sorrow fragments everywhere um there are like these little shield generators there is debris and there are NPCs you can talk to. And you're just making a choice of, like, do you talk to NPCs and save them? Do you um, do you s- turn on shield generators to make an easier path for yourself? Do you try to get rid of debris to get out of this sooner? Because you're trying to make it to the exit uh, while the Sora's running around. I thought this was a kind of a clunky event. But this is the first time mm-hmm. in the game that I thought that, like, oh, this turn-based system is pretty cool if you're doing something interesting with it that's not combat Mm. yeah I uh, I think that this is where I don't know I I think that I I wasn't terribly like unhappy with this I just wanted it to to end like it it is time consuming like it's real time it goes on to it's like over half of an hour Um, and I just did everything I could to like move my characters in a in a way that like finished this. Yeah, it, which is a bummer because um, like I was able to talk to the gosh, what's his name, Melmoth Leviarn. He's like standing in the middle of the arena and he's just like screaming about how it's hopeless and how how everyone should mm-hmm. just prepare to die. And so I went out of my way to go talk to him, and you can talk to him in the middle of combat, and he's like yeah, we should all just die here and you can like use your intelligence points to talk him out of it and get him like excited and then he'll escape with you. Um, hmm. And the same thing happened with uh, Elkishai. He was like um, kind of in like a catatonic, um, you know, he, he just was not reacting to anything. And you can, mm-hmm. like, slap him in the face and be like, get your weapons. And he, like, will go and save other NPCs and make sure that they escape mm. with you. There's cool stuff happening, but the game, the, the by virtue of using its combat system to do this, the game is disincentivizing you from doing anything other than running for the exit. And that's yeah. a bummer. But, mm-hmm. yeah, if you run for the portal, the portal gets, like... Uh, also, one other mm-hmm. thing is that... Um, the uh, Andrus, mm-hmm. uh, she sacrifices herself, or at least she did in my Correct. game. Yeah, the sorrow kind of like mm-hmm. comes up from out of the ground and is like one shotting everyone, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, she she is like shooting him with big rainbow rays. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I thought was interesting, yeah, is if you go for the the portal, the exit portal, the sorrow blows it up in a in a pretty cool animation. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to go touch that pyramid. Again, the pyramid that killed me. And if you listen mm-hmm. to people earlier, in uh, when we first came here, 
all those people had said things like, oh, it, it might be a big shield against the sorrow. It might be an exit. It might be a last-ditch weapon. It might have the changing god himself down in there. And so I went and touched it, and you have to have you have to touch it three times. So you can do it with three different characters or three turns in a row or whatever. And you do it, and then it whips open like the the sides of the triangle instead of opening up uh, along their edges, they open up like tentacles, and there's just a black yes. void under there, and it sucks you in. Um, mm-hmm. And then you wake up in the bloom. And I think that's our episode. That's another episode. Oh, man. Um, How far are we in here? In the game? We've probably got two episodes or three episodes left. Two or three left? We're two-thirds of the way through the Uh, game. Well, let's let's see how this ends up. I I know that I, I was quite critical this episode. I found a lot of my experiences were quite frustrating, but... I'm gonna, you know, next next time we we've just recorded two back to back. Hopefully, this means that. Uh, hopefully, this means that it'll be I'll be able to take a little break from the game, get a little distance, maybe get a little perspective, and uh, the bloom might be great. Um, and yeah, to my memory, you know, it's been it's been a while since I played this game for the first time, but to my memory, the bloom is basically the same kind of density as Sage's Cliffs. So mm-hmm. okay, yeah. There's a lot of stuff to do and a lot of stuff to talk about and think about. So um, I, I think we'll have a good time. Um, if you like the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Twitter.com/slash/RangedTouch. You can find both of our personal Twitter accounts through that. Uh, you can listen to my other show or the other show that's here on the Range Touch Network uh, with Michael Lutz called Game Study Study Buddies. Uh, where we read books of uh, academic game studies. You can see that on our website, rangedtouch.com. Thanks so much to Chris Hunt, who did the theme for this season of Mages of Murder Dads. You can find out more information about him down in the description below. You can go listen to his SoundCloud. You can also find him on Spotify. Uh, If you're interested in listening to his albums, I strongly recommend them. Um, you can check out our Discord uh, information also down in the description um, and if you really like this show and all the things that we do here at Range Touch consider supporting us over on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month that really helps um, we're going to be soon <laughs> doing uh, another show called the Helpful, Helpful Homunculi um, mm. due to the fact that we have crossed the threshold on our Patreon in order to support that so that's really good. Um, so if you like this show, we we we've got to come up with a new stretch goal on the Patreon. We do, um, um, which uh, will almost certainly be a million dollars. Yeah, it's, it's uh, so dig into that those Chapo Trap House pockets <laughs> uh, and make that happen for us. But um, yeah, that's all kinds of stuff. Um, if you have any questions for us or any comments about the show, feel free to um, talk to us on Twitter about that. And if you like this episode of the show and you like our channel, please consider subscribing if you don't do that already. Um, that, of course, helps us out a whole bunch. If you're watching the video of this, you can listen to the podcast. There's information about that in the description below, or you can find out more about that at rangetouch.com. Uh, or if you're listening to the podcast version of this and you want to see the video, you can find that on youtube.com slash rangetouch. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next time. Ciao. Alongside us as he falls, so saith the great Alonso. The world is 